Our reading and our text for this afternoon is found in the book of Acts, chapter 17, 17, the verses 16 through 34. So beginning verse 16 to the end of the chapter. Early in this chapter, we read that Paul has been visiting Thessalonica. Then from there, he went to Berea. In Berea, he had to flee because of being persecuted. And then he comes to the, the city of Athens. And this afternoon, we'll reflect on his work there in Athens, in which the Apostle Paul also speaks about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So beginning at verse 16, they read God's word as follows. Now, while Paul waited for them, referring here to Silas and Timothy, as mentioned in the previous verse, and so while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshippers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. And then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods, because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine is of which you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears, therefore we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Now Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men who dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him though he is not far from each one of us for in him we live and move and have our being as also some of your own poets have said for we are also his offspring therefore since we are the offspring of God we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. Uh, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this uh, to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we will hear you again on this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed. Among them, Dionysius, the Areopagite, 
a woman named Damaris and others with them so far. A reading from God's holy word. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, on Easter Sunday, we together with the Church of All Ages, we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. It was only a, a few days earlier the Lord Jesus was crucified on the cross on Good Friday. People nailed him to the cross. They hated him, but the Lord Jesus allowed himself to be hung on the cross in order that he might pay for our sins. But that wasn't the end of the story of the life of our Lord Jesus, because three days later, we know that he again rose up from the dead. And so the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ has become a central teaching in the church of our Lord Jesus Right, as believers, we believe with our whole heart that the Lord Jesus rose up from the dead, that he now lives forever. We confess that he has ascended into heaven, and there from his place at the right hand of God the Father, he now rules over our whole life. And so the resurrection of the Lord Jesus on Easter Sunday has changed everything also for us. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Jesus is not really raised up from the dead, he says, then your faith is useless. Imagine. Imagine, beloved, putting your faith in a Savior who is not resurrected. Imagine putting your faith in someone who is still dead. If Jesus is still dead, as so many claim, yes, even many who call themselves Christians claim that Jesus didn't really rise from the dead. But the question is, how is it possible that we can be saved? How can a dead Savior give us eternal life? doesn't make any sense, does it? If Christ is not risen, then Paul says the result is the reality is that we are still dead in our sins. But praise be to God that the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the risen Lord. In Him, we may be fully assured that we now have the forgiveness of our sins. And in Christ, we may look forward to the life everlasting in the kingdom of our God. Well, this afternoon, we're going to be dealing with Acts chapter 17. And here we're told that Paul arrived in the city of Athens. And he also found that city to be very religious. By that he means that he saw that the people in the city, they had many gods and they served many gods. And so Luke now goes and tells us in this chapter how Paul went and confronted the heathens and how he confronted the pagan culture in this city. Paul says to the people, I will teach you about someone that you don't know about. I will teach you about Jesus, Jesus who rose up from the dead. See, what we see here is that the Lord Jesus stands up against all those false gods and all those false religions. How? By declaring that the Lord Jesus is the one who has now risen from the dead. Things that are odd. 
to oppose different religions by saying, but I know somebody who rose up from the dead. Why would he address that particular issue? And it's for this reason, beloved, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus is a single event in the whole history of the world that completely changes the world in which we are living. You see, before the Lord Jesus Christ came to the world, all of mankind died. But the Lord Jesus came and he conquered death. And he is now then for, and therefore he is able to give life to all those who believe. And so in the midst of great despair, Easter shines a glorious ray of hope into this dark world in which we are living. Also, there's ray of hope into our hearts and into our lives. It is the very message of Easter, the very message of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that is going to overcome, Paul says, the ignorance of this world. And so this afternoon I proclaim to you God's word under this theme, theme that is the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the word of life for an ignorant world. Our theme, the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the word of life for an ignorant world. We'll look at three things. First of all, we'll look at the ignorance of the world in which we live. Secondly, we'll, call, we'll look at the call to repentance to all men. And thirdly, we'll look at the reaction uh, to this gospel call. <clears throat> While Paul was waiting for Silas and Timothy to, to arrive and to join him in Athens, he went and toured uh, the city. Much like people even today will often go to Athens, it's a, it's a, it's a destination for many tourists who want to see this old city with many temples and many idols. And as Paul toured the city, we're told that he was greatly distressed, or perhaps better we could translate, it infuriated him by what he saw in this city. Because everywhere where he walked in the city, there he saw idols, and there were idols in every street corner uh, to all kinds of different gods. Also keeping this in mind, that Athens was a great center for learning. It's here that the great philosophers of the world came uh, to teach and to be heard. And so we can think of uh, Plato and Aristotle and Socrates, you know, some of these well-known uh, Greek philosophers and they lived probably some two to three hundred years before uh, Paul even uh, came to the city. Really, the city of Athens, you can say, it was unrivaled with regard to, to its idolatry. It exceeded, you can say, almost all the other cities in the world in its spiritual blindness. The ignorance of God in this center of learning was unrivaled anywhere else in the world. And when you think about it, think about today, beloved, the greatest centers of ignorance, where do you find the greatest centers of ignorance here in the world today? You find it in the universities of this world. The universities, if you have the older universities, you know that they would all have been started uh, from a theological center of learning, a theological college or, or university. And so... The study of theology was considered to be the queen of sciences. That's why almost every university, old university, started as a theological center. But today, those theological centers of learning have become a footnote in these universities, ridiculed, something that 
really is of no value, they would say. Whereas before, they would say, you can't study science unless you know theology. That's how the world has changed over the last, well, 200, maybe even 500 years. Well, when Paul came to Athens, he did what he usually did in other places too. He, first of all, went to the synagogue to bring the gospel to the Jews. But Luke says he also went and brought the gospel here to the marketplace, or in the marketplace, and there he was met with some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who began to debate with him. Luke says that when he was there, he's talking to them, he preached or he proclaimed to them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. And as he talked to them about Jesus and about his resurrection, they were told that the reaction of some is that they called him a babbler, thinking that there was that his ideas were not making any sense. Paul is just speaking nonsense, is really what they're saying here. And there are others who said, Paul is promoting some foreign gods. But nevertheless, they were still curious, curious to hear more, because Paul is teaching some new ideas, some things they've never heard before. Uh, Luke makes the comment in this, uh, here in this chapter that the people in the city, uh, they spend their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. It was their pastime to, to do that, to talk about any new ideas and find out about all kinds of new ideas that might come up. And so they brought Paul to a meeting of the Areopagus. The Areopagus here is a council of leading men in Athens, the academics, you can say, in Athens, a body that determined uh, no, this, uh, the, the teaching that was done here in the city. And so this leading council of men in the city, they asked Paul to tell them about this new teaching that they, uh, they heard him telling, uh, telling others. And so Luke tells us, he says, there were two groups of philosophers who, who debated with him. The first group were called the Epicureans. The second group were the Stoics. Think of the Epicureans. The Epicureans believed that there was no life beyond the material things of this world around us. And so they said, we only have life as long as we have a living body, but as soon as the body dies, that is the end, and we return back to the dust of the earth, and we are no more. We have no other existence. They did believe that in the existence of gods. But for them, the gods were indifferent to human beings, right? They were out there somewhere. They really didn't care too much about what people were doing. They were too busy with their own affairs. And these gods, they would constantly be battling one and one another. They were busy enough with that than to have to worry about the people. And then there are the Stoics. Well, the Stoics believed that God was found in all of nature, including us as human beings. And we often refer to that kind of teaching as pantheism, where the whole universe is God. And so they said, since the divine nature lives in all of us, we are then connected to, to this God of the universe. And therefore, we have the ability to be able to discover the truth from within us. After all, we have the divine in us. We're all connected to the God of the universe. Now, these are a couple of old pagan philosophies. But perhaps you may have already noticed something, is that some of these old pagan philosophies are still very much taught today and still very much mainstream in our culture. 
There are many in our culture and our universities who believe that the only thing that matters are the material things in our life. Right? We only have, we only have a life as long as our bodies are alive and, and when we die, then we no longer exist. And not only are, are we just material matter that will just disappear when we die, but there are also others who follow more the Stoic uh, tradition who say, but we also have the truth within us. And truth today, it's important that we understand what's going on also in, in our universities today is that truth is no longer based on what we call facts. Truth is no longer based on things that you can prove either scientifically. Truth is now determined by what you feel inside of you. And so it is you that determine what, you, what gender you are by how you feel you are. If you feel that you're a boy or a girl, then that's what you are, even though you may have been created differently. Even in university, you would ask certain many students, you would ask them, uh, is it okay if I, I'm, I'm 50 years old, but I feel like I'm only six? And they will say to you, well, if that's how you feel, that's fine. Um, that's up to you. Or if you decide that you don't like the race that you are, but that you want to be a different race, and then in your mind you can determine that you are a different race. You determine yourself what kind of person you are. And so what we find in our culture is that there is this great ignorance about God as, as people believe that their own feelings becomes the truth and determines what the truth really is. And so what's happened here is that God no longer determines truth, but you determine what is true. You now become God, and you displace God from the throne in your life. And so we wonder, why is it that people struggle and then to understand what is true in this time in which we live? And the answer, as Paul clearly indicates here in our text, the answer is that all truth is lost when people become ignorant of the Lord God of heaven and earth. This is exactly where Paul now begins his argument. He says to the people there, he says, I, I see that you're very religious. You know, I was walking through your city, and I saw all the objects of your worship. I saw all your, all your idols, and I saw uh, the altars that you had everywhere. And then I also saw this altar to an unknown God. And then he adds this, these words, and he says, you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. In other words, you worship here on this altar, but you're ignorant of the very person or the very God whom you worship. And so what I will do, Paul says, is I will proclaim to you, to you this God. Now, it's interesting that there are many also believers, Christians today, who argue that Paul was wrong in his approach. He shouldn't have started by dealing with the thinking and the logic of the unbelievers. And so this whole question of how do we approach the world in which we live, and there's a big debate also within the, the theological world today on that. There are others, and I'm, I will not get into that, there are also others who, who fault Paul for not mentioning sin. So I imagine Paul also comes in for, for criticism because he isn't strong enough on sin. Well, as we reflect on what Paul does here, the first thing I would say is this, is that Paul does not overlook sin at all. 
In fact, what does Paul do? Paul exposes the very heart of sin. When he speaks about their ignorance of God, he touches on the fact that sin has separated mankind from the Lord God in heaven. You see, the ignorance that Paul talks about here is a willful ignorance. It is a refusal to believe God. It's their refusal to serve the Almighty. That which separates mankind from Almighty God is that mankind has rejected Him. People reject God because they don't want to listen to God. They only want to listen to their own heart, and they want to follow their own desires. And so what Paul does, he exposes the foolishness of mankind in verse 24 and following. He argues that the God who made the world and everything in it, he says this God does not live in temples made with human hands. Remember, the city of Athens is filled with temples for their gods, right? People still go and, and, uh, to visit uh, Athens in order to, to look at the temples and to visit those temples. And they had three main temples, and there were a number of other lesser temples there in the city as well. But Paul says, well, what foolishness. What foolishness to think that, that your gods need human temples, houses that are built with human hands. He goes on and he also says, and neither does the creator of this world need to, be ser- need to be served by human hands as if he needed anything from people. Rather, he says, he says, you don't you know that, he, that God gives everything, gives everyone life and breath and everything else? Almighty God, Paul says, doesn't depend on you. He doesn't depend on us people. But it is we people, we human beings, who depend on God for everything in our life. God doesn't need us. We need God. Because without God, we're completely lost. And so Paul says to them, he says, The God I am proclaiming to you, made from one man, referring to Adam, made from one man all the nations of the earth. And he says, God has now also marked out the times when these nations existed here on this earth. And he marked also the places where they lived here on this earth. Right? Their boundaries. God placed mankind here on this earth, Paul goes on and says, so that they may seek him, that they may seek God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. So here Paul addresses why God put people here on this earth. He says God placed people on this earth so that he may have a relationship with us. Well, you know, in Athens, they built an altar to an unknown God. But they are blind to him, even though Paul says God is not far from anyone. You may wonder, why does Paul say that? Why does he say that God is not far from anyone? Well, simply this, and we confess that also in the, in the Belgian Confession, is because God's glory is visible in all of His creation. Right? We, we see His majesty. We see His glory in the things that, that He has made. Just look around you in creation and in nature, and you realize also the great, not only the power of God, but the wisdom of God and the majesty of God. But God doesn't only reveal himself in the wonderful things that he has made, because we also know that because of man's blindness and because of man's sin, he can't really see God in that. 
And so what did God do? God also came and he spoke to us through his holy word. And yet, they are ignorant of God. Why? Because they refuse to serve the Lord God. They don't want to serve the Lord God. They hardened their heart against him. And so Paul continues on in verse 28 saying, For in God we live and we move and we have our being. And then he says, you know what? That's the very thing that your own poets have been writing about when they say we are God's offspring. So Paul's argument is, he says, you know, even as pagans and even your, your pagan uh, poets and learned men, they accepted the fact that human beings are the offspring of God. Namely that they have the source of life from God. What's interesting but also important here is that you'll find that people also in our culture today generally believe that there is a God or that there is a power often referred to as a higher power from which the world came into being and a higher power that we depend upon for what we need in our lives. You go to Alcoholics Anonymous and they will talk about a higher power and that we cannot do anything without the help of a higher power. Right? The source of all life must be from this source of power in the universe, people think today. But the reality is, is that they are ignorant of who this God is. Because even if you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, this God can be whoever you think this God might be. You can make this into your own God. And so, people do something very strange, Paul says in verse 29. Shouldn't it be the case that if we are God's offspring, that if God is indeed the very source of our life, He is the one who made us and created us, then, then you shouldn't think about the divine. You shouldn't think about God, uh, that God is like gold or silver or stone, that He's a God who is, made, uh, by, who is an image made by human design or by human skill, right? By making all those idols. No, so he argues is if we are indeed God's creation. That means if God has, has created us with living bodies, with a soul. If God has made us so that we can think with our minds and we can reason and we can talk and we can communicate with one another. Then how can you make gods? How can you make idols from gold and silver or stone? We can't do any of those things. So you see how Paul argues. He says how ridiculous it is to make, uh, to make God into a figment of your own imagination. And while these people in, in, there in Athens made gods according to their own imagination with wood, gold, silver, or whatever it is that they may have used, beloved, the same thing is still happening today. In our culture where people create God into their own idols. People have gone back again to the idea of the Stoics, who say that all you need to do is to find the truth is you just need to listen to the God that is within you, who is you. You may have noticed that there is an attempt in public schools today to have children in primary grades taught that they need to listen to what is inside of them to learn, for example, what gender they really are. Even kindergarten children 
children grade one, grade two, in our primary public schools, are taught that they are God, and that therefore they can determine their own gender. Now, of course, they won't say you're God, but they will simply say, you're the one who determines your gender. You determine your identity. You determine who you are. Nobody else can determine that for you. Right? It's not God who has created you the way that you are. No, you get to choose to be the person you want to be. Can you imagine our primary children being totally confused because they don't even know anything about gender? They don't even hardly even know what the difference is between male and, and, and female yet at that particular age. The God who made the world and, and rules over the world must now be a God who is dethroned and a God who is destroyed today. Instead, we're told that we need to listen to the God of our own heart. What God teaches us, they say, is false. We have to reject the very teachings that God has given to us in His Holy Word because your heart will tell you what is true. Beloved, I think that's the basis of everything, not only in this particular issue with regard to, to, to gender and transgender and all those issues. Isn't that also the, the very struggle that we have in our own lives when, when we kind of don't really want to obey our, our Lord, our risen Lord, and we want to do our own thing and we go our own way? What do we, <clears throat> what do, we do? We dethrone Christ from our life. And we say, you know what? Uh, I don't believe that what you're telling me, Lord, is true. I want to go a different way because I think that different way is better for me. And so what we've done is we've dethroned the Lord God in our hearts, in our lives. And beloved, that is something that each, of, each one of us struggles with in some way. There are always things in our lives where we're not always willing to submit to the ways of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, Paul's point here is that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus reveals all those things to be a lie. Right? The gods that people serve, gods that cannot save them. Because everyone who serves the gods of their own making, they will perish and they will die. But the Lord Jesus who came and who died on the cross is also the one who rose up from the dead. And He is the one who lives. And if He is the one who lives, then He is also the one that we want to serve and we are called to serve. It means that we want to put aside the idols and the gods that are there in our own hearts. Because we look to the Lord Jesus as the one who now reigns over all things and therefore now also reigns and he rules over my heart and he reigns and rules over my life. It's for that reason, beloved, that all of mankind is now being called to repent from their ignorance of the living God. Paul says in verse 30, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. You see those academics there in Athens who spent their whole life talking about and seeking out the meaning and the purpose of this life. They're being called. They're being called by Paul to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the risen Lord. Paul says, the time for ignorance has passed, men. God now comes to you and he calls you to repent and to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who has been raised from the dead. 
Paul says something has changed in this world. And because something has changed in the resurrection, therefore the Lord Jesus now then also is the one who now rules and who guides all things in this life. It means, beloved, if Christ has really been raised, it means that Christ cannot be ignored by us, and he cannot be ignored by the people of this world. When Paul says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance. Paul is talking about that time before the Lord Jesus came into the world. In the time of the Old Testament, the Lord God came and he called the people of Israel out of, out of this world, calling Abraham. And he, and he made from Abraham and his descendants, he made Israel his own people. And God revealed himself to Israel. God did not reveal himself at that time yet to the other nations of the earth. God left the other nations in their ignorance. But the coming of the Lord Jesus, Paul says, has changed all of that. Remember the Apostle Paul himself had been called by the Lord Jesus to go and to preach the gospel to the Greeks and to the nations and the peoples of the earth. And Jesus called Paul because the people of the world needed to hear about the Lord Jesus as the risen Lord. They needed to be called to repentance and to put their faith in Jesus Christ. Beloved, the reality is that today the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ can no longer be hidden in a dark corner here in this world. His resurrection, you can say, is earth-shattering news. Throughout history, we know that every single person died. Even the most powerful rulers in the world, they all died, and none of them came back to life. That means that there was no hope for the world where there was only death. Remember the Epicureans? The Epicureans said death was the end. Our bodies will all just return back to the dust and be no more. And the Stoics thought that our soul would just be absorbed back into the universe. But beloved, the resurrection of Jesus Christ reveals that Jesus has the power to break the very grasp of death upon our life. If the Lord Jesus is really raised from the dead, that means that he has the power over your life. He has the power to bring you back to life again. That means that no one, no one can ignore the fact that he has the power over death and that he can give life to all those who come to him and believe. Therefore, all mankind today are are called to repent from their ignorance and to go and to look to the Lord Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior. And so on Easter, the Lord also calls you, beloved, to rejoice at the resurrection of your Lord Jesus Christ. It means that the Lord Jesus has to be, He must be the very focus in your life. Why? Because He is the only one who can give you hope the hope of eternal life. And if Jesus has the power to, to give you eternal life, then there's only one thing you can do, and that is to open your heart to Him and to submit your whole life uh, to His holy will. Nothing else makes any sense when you understand that truth, when he opens, God opens your heart to that truth. Paul says that God will no longer overlook such ignorance 
But he says this, and he says, He has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. The proof, the proof that this man Jesus will again come to judge the world is that God has raised him from the dead, Paul says in verse 32. Remember the Epicureans? The Epicureans said that death was the end of everything. Well, beloved, if death is indeed the end, then, then there cannot be a day of judgment because there won't be anybody who is there to be judged. All men are gone. Or the Stoics. The Stoics believe that at death our soul is absorbed into the universe. That means that there is no personal supreme God that we need to give answer to. We will also just simply be absorbed into the universe. There's no sense of having a day of judgment. And so his point is today people also cannot imagine that there will be a day of judgment. And people today also reject the whole idea of a day of judgment for various reasons. Some would simply say, oh, God would never judge people. He would never punish people eternally for what they have done. Or they would simply say, you know what, when we die, that's the end. There will be no judgment. But beloved, all those reasons, all those ways in which we kind of put aside any thought, any fear of the day of judgment changes. The day that you understand, the day that you believe with your heart, the Lord Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Because if Jesus is alive, it can only mean one thing. That means that he would then also come back again to judge the world. If Jesus is the one who is now ruling over the earth, there is our risen Lord. That means that all of mankind will be responsible to him for everything that they have done. Remember here the words of the Lord Jesus to his disciples in Matthew 25, verse 45. It talks about the day of judgment. And then Jesus warns, he says, And whatever you did not do for one of the least of these. And then he gives the example of, You didn't give food to those who were hungry. You didn't give clothes to those who were naked. You did not visit the sick or visit those who were in prison. The day that you did not do this for one of the least of these, you did not do it for me. See what Jesus says? Our resurrected Lord says, I see everything that you are doing from heaven. I'm aware of everything. I know all things. I know your heart. I know all your actions. You know, I know what you have done. And I will take it personally. I will take it personally if you do not serve me by serving others. When you do not care for my brothers, for my sisters, when you do not care for my neighbors, it's not just you, my neighbors and, my, and your brothers and sisters are being hurt, but you have also done it personally against me. I will punish everyone who refuses to repent and everyone who refuses to, uh, to serve me, also in the way that we serve one another. Well, when these men in Athens, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead. There are some who sneered at what Paul was saying and teaching. But there are others who said, we want to hear you again on this subject. But you notice that it was when they heard about the resurrection of the dead that that is when these men, then they stood up and they rejected what Paul was telling them. 
At the mention of the resurrection, their ears were closed. They reject the very heart of the gospel message because the resurrection seems to be foolish to the intellectual elite of this world. You say, oh, how modern all this uh, sounds, doesn't it? A modern retired Scottish theologian by the name of Richard Hollow writes this, or wrote this. He says, traditional theology, when he talks about traditional theology, he's talking about you know, the teaching concerning God as the creator of, uh, of the world and the universe. Or God is... Uh, <clears throat> Or he's thinking about also the cross where Jesus died for the sins of the people. Or the teaching about the resurrection. Or the teaching about the the day of judgment. He says those things have been totally overthrown by contemporary science and philosophy. Much of it should just be chucked. Notice here that the reaction of this so-called theologian to the message of Paul is like the reaction of the intellectual elite here in the city of Athens. Man's own intellect, his science and philosophy that this Richard is talking about, trumps the very word of God. And in his latest book that came out in, in 2020, the book that is part of the title is titled Making Meaning, Making Meaning in a Meaningless Universe. What he's saying here is, we must make meaning out of a meaningless world. Well, how do you make meaning out of something that is meaningless? It just isn't even sensical. But what also this shows us is what he says, and what people today says is, God is not allowed to help us to make meaning out of this world. You can't let God and his word determine what meaning is for this world. Because we know better than God does. In fact, many would simply say that God today is an immoral God, a God that we need to be rejected because we know the truth in our own heart. Now think about that. Think about the arrogance that lives in the heart of mankind. Right? They reject the teaching that Paul holds central for our life and for our salvation. By denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the whole purpose, the whole meaning for our life is now destroyed for us. How can you make meaning of this life if you do not know God? You just can't. Because if you don't know God, beloved, that what it means is that you're all alone in this universe. Without God, without Jesus Christ, you have nothing. Without Christ, you have no hope. Without him, you have no future. You have no reason to go on to live. No wonder that so many would choose suicide over life when life is so meaningless without Christ. All we're left with is trying to make meaning out of life for ourselves. And that is a futile pursuit, beloved. Without God, without Christ, there is no purpose. Without Christ, you have no hope of the life everlasting. And while there are many today, as in the days of Paul, who sneer at the idea of the resurrection of Christ, beloved as God's people, you and I, we experience the power of the resurrected Lord, His power to come into our lives, His power to renew us, His power to change our lives see that. Also in the context of mission. 
I said to the elders, I preached a sermon this morning, and I had a hard time also uh, getting away because many of our new members and people who are coming to the faith wanted to talk about this particular message. And they will testify to the power of God's work also in their own hearts. Well, the crucified Christ is changing them, powerfully making them into new people. Right? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus, beloved, is not just a philosophy, just a thought that's out there. We recognize it in the life of others who come to the faith, and you may recognize it in your own life as the Lord comes and renews you and as He changes your life. Right? We have a risen Lord who has the power to break through our stubborn heart and to break through the hearts of many who are stubborn today. His resurrection reveals His power to raise up His people from the power of sin and to, and to take us out of this life of corruption. Beloved, you will experience that power of Christ in your own life when He comes and He convicts you of your sin and you acknowledge, yes, Lord, I've sinned. I've grieved you, dear, I've grieved you deeply by my thoughts, by my sinful desires. And you recognize this power when the Lord also works in your heart, that desire that you want to change your life. You want to live a new life. You don't want to continue on in the old way of life that is meaningless. Right? He did that not only in your life. He did that also long ago there in the life of Dionysius, who was a member of the Areopagus. And he did it in the life of this woman named Damaris. And there were others, Luke says as well. Remember this, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy for these people in Athens uh, to now accept uh, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and to confess Jesus Christ's resurrection. Imagine, they would have been rejected and they would have been ridiculed by the intellectuals in their society. Today we would say they would be canceled. But that was okay. They didn't mind that at all. Because they had found a new hope. And they discovered a new joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved, do not be ashamed of the gospel message. Do not be afraid to confess the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ has the power to break our sinful hearts. He's the power to also change us more and more so that we reflect His wonderful image. That means that we now eagerly look forward to the day that our risen Lord will return to judge the living and the dead. We look forward then to that glorious hope of the life everlasting in the kingdom of our God. And therefore we can also sing with joy as you sang that also this morning. Christ has risen. Hallelujah. Amen.